Welcome to Harvest Hill, and uh, we are in the midst of a series. My name is Mike Hurchin, Pastor Mike, if you'd like, um, in the midst of a series on prayer. And uh, it's kind of funny, Jason talks about, you know, a sermon on prayer. You know, that a series really is an answered prayer to people who go to church, because what a series is, is a pastor has so much stuff to cram into a message that the people of the church have prayed so much that the pastor would shorten his sermons a little bit. And so he said, yeah, I'm going to do a series. And so we did focus on one thing for several weeks instead of one thing for several hours. So you're welcome. You know, answered prayer right there. Um, but I hope you're ready for what we are going through. We are walking through prayer. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and make your way to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, looking in verses 9 through 13, really focused today on verse 10 as we begin to unfold what Jesus taught in, in how to pray. There's one thing his disciples asked is, Lord, teach us to pray as, as John taught his disciples. And this is what Jesus taught them in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be focusing on, the, on Matthew's recording of the same prayer. Um, as we have spoke, as we walk through this, this is not a, a formula. It's not something that Jesus uh, demonstrates that he prayed these exact words when he prayed throughout his ministry. It's something uh, we don't see the disciples or Paul or even the letters of Paul where he prayed these exact words. But it gives us a means which Jesus teaches us to connect with the Father and unlock this incredible gift God has given us in what we call prayer. T.W. Hunt who is a theologian, wrote that prayerlessness is a statement to God that we do not believe that spiritual forces have the power to affect a world created by a spiritual being. In the Bible, we read in the book of James chapter 4 that you do not have because you do not ask. But in the same breath, in verse 3 of chapter 4 of James, we also read that you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions, which seems like this paradox or this contradiction that we, we, don't, we don't receive because we don't ask, but then we ask and we don't receive because we ask for the wrong thing. And, and this is what we're really going to be focusing on today with the kingdom and the will of God and understanding to ask with the right passions, to ask with the right things so that our prayers can be answered when we come before God. And the beauty of doing a series on prayer is everyone in this room has prayed in some way or another at least once in your life. Can we all say that is true? At least once I've prayed, right? And you probably prayed at least once today or you will at some point in time today pray or you've joined in prayers. Jackson led us uh, in prayer. The point of the series is not to say, okay, we need to pray. The point of the series is to unlock the power of prayer through the teachings of God's Word and to pray in such a way that Jesus teaches us or instructs us. And so last couple of weeks, we've just been walking through verse 9 in Matthew chapter 6, where our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we see that prayer is this call and this commitment to something greater than ourselves. It begins with understanding our Father, why we're even able to address Him, the Lord God of all creations as our Father through our faith in Jesus Christ. But it's not a self-centered prayer. That's not what Jesus teaches. You can read through that and you can see the pronouns, our, us, it's a community-centered prayer that is first focused on God. And so we begin with God. We pray for one another. And, and that leads us into beginning to be able to pray for ourselves in the way that we're instructed in Scripture, which is where we're going to be this morning. Today's part of prayer is going to be the part of prayer that we can become a little bit selfish. But here's, here's the pre-warning. 
if you're like me, you're not going to like the way we have to do this and how self-centered prayers are supposed to look in our own life. But Martin Luther tells us that the Christian's trade is prayer. And so what that means is prayers are our job. It is the requirement that God has given us. It is what God has called us to, to come before Him into His throne room of grace and to pray, to intercede on behalf of our loved ones, our co-workers, our friends, our schools, our churches, to intercede on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ, to, to intercede and to lift things that are on our mind as well before the Father, all with the understanding that I am talking to the God who created but also controls all things. And so this morning we're going to walk through this if you have your Bible, let's read through it, and then we'll, uh, we'll focus on verse 10 for the remainder of our time. And the word of the Lord says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's go, like I said, we're going to be focusing primarily on verse 10 this morning. We'll use some other scripture to help us understand what is being said here. But your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we just need to stop and pause. And this is a great tool you can use if you're studying your own scriptures uh, during the week is to ask questions. Okay, what is the kingdom of God? What is the will of God? And just sit and ponder on that. The scripture promises that if we ask and we seek and we knock, that we will hear from God. And so this is what we do in scripture. We sit here, okay, what is that? What is God's kingdom? What is God's will? What does that mean in my life? And, and how does that be manifested? What is Jesus telling me I should be praying when I go and pray before the Father? Well, the kingdom of God refers to God's heavenly rule. It refers to his heavens, his throne room. It refers to his reign, his worship, his holiness, his perfection. So when Jesus says, your kingdom come, God, your holiness, your perfection, your worship, your, your reign, your rule, you as king, come on earth as it is in heaven. It is to say, okay, God, you are in charge. God, let me understand that your kingdom come in my life, your rule in my life, your reign. You be king. You be the authority. You be in control. And when I say your will, God, Father, your will be done in my life. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What I'm saying for the will of God is as simple as it's the ways of God. Is God, your way be done. Your, your word be manifested. Your word be complete. Your word be seen on earth as it is in heaven. Your word be perfect. Your word be nourishing. Your word be light. Everything the Bible says about the word, your word puncture my innermost being. Your word become alive and active on earth as it is in heaven at this very moment. I'm coming before you, God, my Father and asking that you be fully on display right now in this place and in my life and in the people around me. That's what the will and the kingdom of God is. And it, the reason this has become a selfish prayer is as Jesus leads into about our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, is the reason it becomes a selfish prayer is because I'm coming to God and I am saying, God, I am personally recognizing you as God and I am personally praying that your Lordship would come over my life so that I might be obedient to your leadership in my life. And so I'm being selfish in this moment, God. Because I'm praying, Lord, help me submit and be obedient to you. 
so that your kingdom and will can come on this earth and let it come through me. This prayer saying, God, let me publicly reveal your lordship because your lordship is over my life so that I may retell of your love to this earth. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Personally, Lord, help me be obedient. Help me submit to you. Personally, you know what I'm struggling with. You know what I'm wrestling with. You know the questions I have. You know the doubts I have. You know my lack of faith at times. You know my unbeliefs in your word. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life, Father. Help me be obedient. Be Lord of my life for the purpose that others may see that you're Lord of my life and that I can give you glory through your kingdom and your will in my life in this earth so they may know how much you love them. This prayer is the understanding that it is through Jesus Christ has fully been glorified and fully revealed the will of God and the kingdom of God. And now that we march out, that we pray in faith, but we also pray for faithful surrender. Ian Bounds writes that the will, our personal will must be surrendered to God as a primary condition of all successful praying. Your kingdom come, your will be done. The prayer to God, God, enable me, encourage me, teach me, rebuke me, discipline me, correct me, correct us so that we can be obedient to you. The reality of the kingdom and the will of God is that it is always going to be. It will always be. It is eternal. And so whether or not I am, I am submitting obedience to the kingdom and the will of God, it doesn't erase God's kingdom and will. It's always going to be set in place. And so what I'm asking is, God, help me to be a part of something that is going to be greater than myself. Help me be a part of something that is eternal, that is going to live past my own life. Lord, let me be a part of your mission. Lord, this is my prayer that you would come and you would take full reign over all the territory of my heart that you would be seated, seated on your throne in my heart. Lord, help me to submit. The crowds came to Jesus throughout his ministry. They would call him Lord, Lord, and Rabbi, and all these things. And, and, and one time when they called out to Jesus and called him Lord, Jesus' response was this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? The understanding that Jesus is trying to give this crowd and give us this morning is that if I am calling Jesus, if I call myself a Christian, then the understanding of Scripture is that I have called upon Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. That word Lord means masters. We talked about last week with hallowed be your name. So Jesus is telling this crowd, why do you call me Lord? Why do you call you, me master? But you don't do a thing that I tell you to do. And God puts that forward to us when we come to him and say, hallowed, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're saying, okay, God, I am submitting to you as my master. And I need to do what you have told me to do. Ian Bounds goes on to write that an obedient life is the necessity to prayer because it is the sort that which accomplishes things. He did that from several places in Scripture. Psalm 34, 17 says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of trouble. Proverbs 15, 29, the Bible says, The Lord is far from the wicked. The wicked are those who are opposed to the kingdom of God, opposed to the will of God. But the Lord hears the prayer of the righteous 
In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, the Bible says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open or attentive to their prayer. This understanding, a lot of us struggle with prayer, myself included. It's not the act of prayer that we're struggling with. It's the obedience to the one we're praying to. It's our submission to his rule and reign over our life. That's the issue we have with prayer. That's why we don't see prayer being answered in our life is because I'm not submitting to God's kingdom and will in my life. Dr. Steve Gaines says, before we know God's will, which we're praying for, we must first surrender completely to his will. And we understand this in all avenues of life. Some of y'all have... 16-year-olds that are becoming 16 and making you nervous. And you understand that to be a driver on the road, your 16-year-old has to understand the rules of the road. They have to take driver's tests. They have to take written tests. They have to be able to understand speed limit signs and stop signs and yield signs and crossway signs and all sorts of signs as they drive on the road. Now, whether they actually do it, they have to at least understand it and fill out this form to say they're going to abide by it. They understand rules. We understand that at our job, we have to learn certain, certain training or teachings or certain things so we can do our job effectively. There's requirements we have in our job. There's rules that we have at our job that we have to do. We have to be there at certain times and for a certain length of times, and we have to accomplish certain tasks. Those are rules. Otherwise, we get in trouble. When you're a student, you have a coach or a leader or a director or a teacher, and you're in their class, and you have to submit to their rules or what? You get in trouble. You get kicked off the team. You don't get to play. You don't get that part you want, or you don't get to play the instrument you want, or the part in the music. We have all these things in our life that shout rules and things we have to abide by and be into, and that's exactly what we have to apply to our prayer life. There are rules, there are uh, commandments, there are obligations that God has given us in his word for our good. And that's where we struggle. Is we fail to see it's actually for our good. God has a plan and a purpose for our welfare, for our good, for our benefit, for our future. But it's all about me. Okay, God, I've got to submit and be obedient to what you've laid before me, that your kingdom and your will would be done in my life. We also see that in praying this prayer, I'm not only praying for obedience and submission, but I'm praying that God would give me a heart of evangelism. When I'm praying, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I am praying that God's good news of Jesus Christ would be shared and shown. So I'm praying, God, not only make me obedient, not only make me submit to your rule over my life, but God, enable me, empower me, show me how I can be used to show your glory of your gospel. As John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, he echoed the words of John by saying the exact same thing. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is revealed through Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God, here's the beauty, lives inside of us by the Holy Spirit. And so God, your kingdom come, allow your kingdom to come out of my life. And what is the will of God? The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2, 4, that the will of God is for all people to be saved, to come to the knowledge of truth. So when I'm praying, God, your kingdom come and your will be done, I'm praying, God, 
please allow Jesus Christ to be visible in my life. God, lead me to the places where I might expand the message of your love. Lead me to the places where I might reveal who your son is. Lead me to the places where the power of your spirit that lives inside of me might be fully manifested among the people among me. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in my life. Father, use me to spread your gospel. Use me to spread your kingdom. Use me to live out your will in my life and the people you've already surrounded me with that need to know about how much you love them. If we read through the Bible, we see that God's ultimate will and his ultimate kingdom revelation is when God's people are submitting to the reign of God, the rule of God, and the people around them see that and understand that he is, in fact, the one true God. Look into the Old Testament. When, when God brought Israel out of Egypt and was taking them to the promised land, before he gets them to the promised land, he gives them a set of rules we call commandments along with other things. And he manifests himself at Mount Sinai and he tells them, this is all so they may have a fear or reverence of me, that they may be willing to submit and be obedient to me, all for the sake that the nations around would know that I'm the one true God. How would they know that? By their obedience to the rules and commands God has placed over their life. The world would look at the Israelites and they would understand that their God is the real thing. His kingdom is the real kingdom. And his will will never end. And the same thing goes for us today as God's people. As God took Israel out of slavery from Egypt and into the promised land, God has brought us out of spiritual slavery, taken us to an eternal promise. And as he leads us there, as we get to that place, God puts us in these arenas and these places in life where people will look at our life and see our submission, our obedience to God, and they would know by the way we live our life and our manifestation of, of Jesus Christ and love of God that he is the one true God. They would see by the way I'm living that his kingdom and will is over my life. And they would understand his kingdom reigns forever and his will will always be. Finally, this prayer, this part of prayer is a prayer that God would give us the expectation of anticipation of the coming of Jesus Christ. When we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth is, and we're reminded we have to pray this way because this is not the world the way the world is in which we live. I'm praying your kingdom come and your will be done because we are in a spiritual battle every single day. Our family members are in spiritual battles. Our co-workers are in spiritual battles. Our, our close friends are in spiritual battles. And so we're praying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life and be done in their life. We're reminded when we pray this prayer that sin is what is hindering people that we love from experiencing the glorious love and grace and mercy and joy of God's kingdom. It's the sin that is keeping them from it. We're reminded that we are, are in the midst of this battle going on along with everybody else. And so we're praying, God, your kingdom and your will be done because we're in this battle. But we know as your people, the war is won. It's won. He went into the tomb, but he came back out. The war is won. Info goes on to say, when we pray your kingdom come, we are one moment recognizing the fact that God's ultimate rule is simply a matter of time. 
We're also committing ourselves to participate in seeing it unfold before our eyes. So personally, Jesus is teaching us, God, help me, teach me, discipline me to be more like Jesus. My personal prayer. Help me, teach me, discipline me, correct me so I can be more like Jesus. Let your kingdom come and will be done in my life. Why? So publicly, Lord, I can reveal your kingdom and your will in the lives around me. So, Lord, personally, help me be like Jesus so I can publicly reveal Jesus. I can publicly reveal your kingdom. I can publicly reveal your will, your will. I can publicly reveal how you did that when you were on this earth. But it has to begin with me, Lord. So this is our selfish part of prayer. God, make me obedient. The hard parts of my heart, Lord, soften them so I can submit. And the scary part about this prayer is, Lord, if I need to be broken, break me. That's why I say we're not going to like this part of prayer. But Jesus, as He entered into the garden on His last night, He was about the kingdom of God and about the will of God and and knowing what was going to happen in the next couple hours. This was Jesus' prayer. Not my will, but yours be done. Completely submitting, completely obedient to the kingdom of God so that the will of God might be glorified through His life, His death, and resurrection, and that has to be our prayer. It may not be what I like, it may not be what I think should happen, but Lord, not my will, but yours be done so that you would be fully glorified because it's not about my kingdom. It's not about my will. It's that others may understand your kingdom and your will for their life. And so, Lord, I need to be broken. We pray this We're praying for God to use us as an instrument of righteousness, which is what He wants to do. The Bible tells us in Romans 6, 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So here's the question. How how do we realistically do this in our prayer life? And how do we realistically live this in our daily life? We have all the fun quotes and all the fun sayings and all the things from books and smart people, but how do I do this today in 2018? How do I do this this week, Lord, that you've already set aside for me to live? How do I manifest this and apply this in my life? And here it is. And we're not going to like it because I didn't like it when I sat and kneeled before the Father and said, okay, God, how do I do it? It begins right here. We have to be diligent in our preparations but deliberate in our prostrations. Diligent in our preparations, but diligent in our our prostrations. And what that means is we are commanded to be wise builders. We are are commanded to to work, and we are commanded to to find joy in our work, and we are commanded to plan and, and to make the proper plans to do what the tasks are ahead of us. So that may be for the day, that may be for the week, that may be for the month, that may be for the year. We're to make a plan. 
We all know that every part of our life, whether it's with kids or at work or our grandkids, we, we make these plans that we want to do. But here what, here's what it means. We're diligent in those things, but then we prostrate. What I do is I make these plans. I form these budgets. I put out my schedule. I have my task, my to-do list. But once I get that done, I come and I willfully submit that to the Father and say, all right. give you the keys. I give you the calendar. I give you the schedule. I give you all my plans. I give you all the things that I have prepared, all the things I think I need to do. And I submit, I lay those at your feet. Because since I know you as my Father, I know that all my plans fail to compare to your perfect ultimate plan. So I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to take care of what I think I can take care of, and I'm going to make the plans to do it, but then once I've got the plan, I'm going to say, okay, God, your kingdom come and your will be done. And the reason this is so hard is because when we do this, here's, here's how I respond, and I guarantee you're going to, you're going to respond the same way. When we do this and we make our best laid plans for the month, year, day, here, here's what happens. Interruptions. Interruptions. And how do we respond to interruptions? Well, God, come on! Why are you doing this? What's, what's going on? I, I, I did everything I was supposed to do. And so what we have to do when I'm praying your kingdom come and your will be done, I have to see interruptions in my plans as God's interventions. I have to see the things that I think should happen when they don't go the way I think they should happen. I have to see that there's a God who loves me that is intervening in my life. And it may make me anxious. It may make me frustrated. It may make me feel at a loss. But the reality is I want God to intervene in my life. I want him to step in. Because God has to intervene in our lives or we would never get on to his kingdom's plan and we would never be about his will. We wouldn't do it. We wouldn't. But if you look in Scripture, we see this playing out in Scripture, how God intervenes or interrupts people's lives to call them to His kingdom's plan and His will. Look at Abram. Man, just hanging out with his family, got his wife, got his nephew. He's kind of like his own son now. He's with his pops. They're in a nice little area. Didn't quite make it to where they wanted to. And what does God do? He interrupts. Come, follow me. Leave your family, leave this land, and I'll take you to a place. I'm going to make you the father of nations. Abram had to be interrupted. Look at Moses. Moses had a plan. Man, I, he had a plan to liberate the Israelites in Exodus. He had a plan, and when he put that plan into place, what happened? The Israelites' hearts weren't ready for that plan. And so what did Moses do? He, he did what we all do. Let's make a new plan. That didn't go the way I thought it would, so I'm going to make a new plan. 
His new plan was, I'm going to hang out with my father-in-law. I'm going to shepherd his sheep, and maybe I'll become the king's shepherd at some point in time. What does God do? God comes in and he interrupts. He intervenes in Moses' life to call him out to lead a nation of people to become his nation and his people. But what did Moses have to do? He had to allow himself to be interrupted. Joseph had big dreams, big plans. I mean, God told him his big dreams and big plans. What did God have to do? God had to interrupt Joseph's life to take him through the trials so that his heart would be ready for the big plans and the big kingdom and the big will that God had for Joseph's life when that time came. But he had to be interrupted. The judges, book of judges, every single judge, they just, oh, we'll just lay low. We'll just lay low with the rest of Israel. Anytime we rise up, man, bad things happen. So we're just going to lay low. So what does God do? He interrupts. He intervenes in their life. He calls them out to come and lead his people out of, out of this bondage, to lead his people back to him. And what did they have to do? They had to allow God to interrupt their life, to intervene. The disciples, man, we're just out fishing. We're just out enjoying the day. We're out doing what we've trained to do. We're, we're doing our job. And, and God interrupts. He intervenes. He calls them out. And if they, if they said no, they would have missed God in the flesh revealing His glorious mission in the world. They would have missed the miracles. They would have missed the, the teachings. They would have missed the one-on-one -on -one conversations with God about the kingdom of God. But they had allowed themselves to be interrupted. Paul, man, he had a plan. What did God do? He intervened. So we have to stop seeing interruptions in our life as interruptions. We believe there's a God who sits on His throne who cannot be moved. He controls all things. And He, can, he has a plan, and it is good, and He has a will, and it is good, and it is set. And that God knows what needs to happen in my life better than I know. And sometimes he is going to have to intervene in my life to get me back on plan for his kingdom and his will. But we've got to stop calling them interruptions. Start calling them answered prayers. Just think if we would start praising God for the times he's interrupted us from going down a very wrong path. these times are uncomfortable. These times make us mad and make us frustrated and make us worry. And they get us in places we don't like to be. But here's the reality. God's kingdom and will is about interrupting our own. Because He's got to take us off the throne of our own heart. And we've got to come to a place where, God, you are in control and I trust you. And when we do this, because I, I promise you this, here's a promise, not a prophecy, a promise. Your plans this week are going to be interrupted. Hallelujah. No, no amens. They're going to be interrupted. You're, you're going to get frustrated this week. Praise Jesus. God's kingdom and will is going to come and intervene in your life and it's going to disrupt your nice little bubble. Still no amens. 
But when we change our perspective that, you know, that it's not an interruption, it's God intervening because He loves me. We begin to see how God is moving and working all around us. And our heart begins to become awakened and sensitive to the presence of God and the kingdom of God and the will of God and the work of God around us. Bonnie Floyd writes that until we make the decision to deal honestly with God's question about full allegiance to Him, there will be little or no prospect of awakening in our hearts, no stirring of the Spirit in our churches, and no revival in our land. Because true revival is nothing less or more than the manifested presence of God in our lives. Lord, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Begins with me. God intervene. Interrupt. Do what you need to do. Like I said, this is unpleasant, and so it's not something that I always seek for. And I've shared this a couple weeks ago, and, and I just God just continues to bring me back to it, just because what He did for it. A couple weeks when we launched this this series, we had a beautiful moment of prayer down here, and. And I appreciate, you know, then we had this response to pray over our family. And, um, you know, we were on vacation about three, four weeks ago. And some of y'all know, because I've shared it, um, our car broke down. Um, It was still running, but not safely. There's nothing in vacation plans or budget about a car breaking down 800 miles plus from home. Okay? It's not. I mean, you do not go on vacation like, praise Jesus, the car broke down. You know, you just don't do it. But God had to do that situation because there were things in my heart that I didn't even know needed to be dealt with, but I couldn't allow them to be dealt with until I was completely broken on my knees, on the bed in tears, saying, what is going on, God? And it was in that moment where I, when I was at a loss of trying to put my plan and my schedule on how this is going to work and how we can work this out and how we can figure this out. When I was at a point where I've got nowhere else to turn, God, but you, because my life is completely interrupted right now. It was in that moment that my heart was so softened to God that he was able to do things. And it wasn't just the car. I don't want you to think it was just the car. There were things going on that week that had to be dealt with in my own life, in, in the people's lives around me, that God had to do, and He used that interruption in my life to do it. So praise Jesus. And some silly little car broke down, but through that car, my heart was broken. I was humbled. Conversations happened with family members. I had to stop relying upon myself and rely upon God. I had to turn to my church family and rely upon their prayers. I had to turn to people that God had brought into my life and rely upon their expertise. I had to stop thinking that I was king of kings and lord of lords and say, okay, God, you are, because I can't do it. God had to intervene. And through that situation, even though it was not something I prayed for, oh, God, please, you know, you don't wake up tomorrow morning and God, please let my car just totally fall apart this week. You don't, you don't do that. But God knows what needs to happen. And, and I didn't pray for it, but through that situation, you know what has happened? I've had more conversations since we got back from vacation about how great and awesome our God is because of that situation that made me a little bit uncomfortable for a very short period of time. 
His kingdom come and his will was done in that situation. But here's the thing. Sometimes he's got to interrupt. He's got to intervene. So when you're coming in this part this week where you're, just pause and say, okay, God, what are you trying to show me? How is your kingdom come and your will be done right now in this moment? What What are you trying to lead me? What are you trying to intervene in my life for something that is more glorious than myself? How can, in this moment, I make your name be hallowed? How can, in this moment, I make others see the way I respond to this situation that I have faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, and you're my Father? So God, interrupt us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here's the truth. We all want God to do this. We may not think it, but we do. We all want God to interrupt us, and we all want God to intervene. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, not for His, for our sake, He, God, our Father, made Him, Jesus Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin. He was perfect. But God did it for our sake. He made His Son be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's God intervening. And you may be here this morning, you may be in the midst of some interruption. It is not going according to plan. And you're here, and God is saying, you know what, I'm just trying to get your attention back on me. You may need to come before the Father and just kneel before Him and say, all right, God, I know your plan's good and help me to trust you. We all need that prayer. Help me to trust you. Help my unbelief. Maybe you're here this morning and you need the greatest interruption in your life because in your life, you're still king. You're still in charge and you're still in control. The Bible tells us that God has created you and me for a relationship with Him. But that got interrupted, and that wasn't God's plan. Because sin came into this world by one act of disobedience. And sin is in all of us. Unless that sin is, is taken care of permanently, we will die in our sins and be eternally separated from the God who loves us, who for our sake became sin. And what we do when we hear that and, and when we struggle with these interventions by God is, so, all right, well, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to get more involved. And we come up with all of our to-do lists, but when it comes to our salvation, that doesn't work. Because our righteousness and our righteous acts pale in comparison to the holiness and the righteousness of Christ. So I can do everything right on this side of eternity and still miss heaven. So God knows this. And for our sake became sin, sent His Son Jesus Christ to pay the price, to die on a cross and to rise again, that you and I can be completely forgiven. God intervened into eternity for you and for me. 
He interrupted it. The Bible says, when I believe in my heart that God did that for me, He loves me that much, and I believe Jesus lived on this earth perfectly according to what God's kingdom and will is. He did what I couldn't. And He died on a cross paying a debt I can't pay. But He rose again that I could be completely forgiven. When I believe that in my heart and I confess my mouth, the Bible gives us this promise, you will be saved. Safe from your sins, safe from your things, your dark secrets and your past, safe from everything you'll ever do in the future, safe from hell, safe from separation from God, and given eternal promise of heaven. You may be here this morning, and that's where you are. You need Jesus. You've been doing all the right things, playing church all the right ways. But the reality is you're lost and you're without Jesus. And you need to change that. So God extends His invitation to you to right now. Come and let it be known. Just I'll be down here and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. Maybe you're like me and this week you realize, okay, God's just been trying to get my attention with some of the things going on in my life. And I've I've been too prideful to allow him to do that. You need to come and say, okay, God, I I submit to your kingdom and your will, will being done in my life so that your kingdom and will can be done in the people's lives around me. I don't know where you are this morning, but I know God is good. All the time. You're still awake good. And all the time. And he's got a great plan. Now's the time to respond. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your, your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your promises that will always stand. Your kingdom will stand. Your will will stand, Lord. Thank you for inviting to be a part of that. And we do pray for forgiveness, Lord, where we have failed you, where, where we have been outside of your kingdom and your will. We've tried to do it our own way. In this moment, it's time we come to a time of response. And Lord, we, we want as a church, as your people, submit declare you are God not us so Lord help us just to lay down any gods we have in our life that we've been worshiping and lifting up or or trusting in more than you help us just to submit our calendars and our schedules and our plans and our dreams knowing that you've got the best plan of all Lord I pray for the individuals here this morning that don't know you as their Lord and Savior they know how to do church they know how to to do all this stuff, but Lord, they don't know you. Your spirit would come upon their heart, Lord. Your word says it is your will that all would be saved, and it's your will for these individuals to be saved in this moment, that this be the day of their salvation. Lord, that your spirit would just prompt them to step out of the aisle and to walk down and just let it be known. Lord, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. Thank you again for allowing us to be in your presence. We come this time, let it be a time of spirit and truth, a time of worshiping of how great you are. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand, and I invite you to come.